so what I wanted to get into tonight is the idol of self, um, and really that's just pride. And so um, when I was praying about that, the Lord uh, really just spoke to me because I was like, God, like pride is a pretty obvious sin. Like it's, it's seen throughout a lot of the Bible. It's a lot of mistakes that happen. It's usually because of pride. And he goes, well, yeah, pride is an obvious sin, but it's not always obvious in the way that it presents itself. And so I'm here to challenge you guys and, and, and challenge you with love, though. So anything you hear tonight, it is not in a form of condemnation or shame or guilt. If that is what you are hearing, that is the voice of the enemy. And I want to tell you that's a lie. That's not true. Um, what the Lord wants to say to you tonight is, is full of grace and is full of love and mercy and saying, you know, you might not have seen it in that light before, but I'm here to set you into another level of freedom than you already were. And so that is the heart behind what I'm going to get into tonight. Um, and so, honestly, we're just going to go back to the garden. We're going to go back to Genesis 1. Um, we're going to have it up on the screen for y'all just in case. Um, and really that is just the entrance of pride. And when it talks about 1 verse 27... So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then this one won't be up on the screen, but in verse 3, the lie that Satan comes with is saying, if you eat this, you will be like God. And so that is the initial twist that the enemy tried to put on Adam and Eve. It was rather than being created or being the object of God's love. It was, you must be the creator. You must be like God. And so it twisted um, from made in God's image to trying to be God himself. And so that is the, the introduction of pride and where I wanted to start because the sadness of that is that the devil, he can't create anything new. He can't create anything good. All he can do is pervert the truth and pervert what God has said is good and perfect and true. So when he, when he made them in his image, that was perfect. That was good. That was right. And what Satan tried to do was, I'm going to twist this so that they will enter sin and then they'll be separated from God because they'll think they can be like God. But that's something that is unattainable because we're not perfect, but God is. And so I wanted to start there because... The sadness is that they already were made in the image of God. It was that slight twist. They were already made in his image. They were always, they were already looked at and said, God said, that is very good. In all of creation, God said, that is good to nature. That is good to the sky. That is good to water. But when he looked at man, he said, that is very good. That's the only thing he said very good to. And so that's that, that slight twist. And so throughout history, and even in our personal, personal lives, we can see, um, what, what pride can do, what thinking that we are God can do. We, we see war, we see family relationships that are broken, we see um, our own identity crises of not knowing who we really are, of dealing with anxiety and depression. And, and what I want to challenge you with tonight is that it's actually a stem of pride. And we might not always see it as that, but it's, it's the enemy trying to sneak in and, and give you pride and think that you can control something when you never, when you never really were actually created to control it in the first place. Um, and you know, really what pride does is it, it just keeps us from crying out to our savior. That's what it does. It, it doesn't 
It doesn't give you anything other than taking you away from God and only looking at yourself and not looking at the one who can fix the situation in the first place. Um, C.S. Lewis actually put it this way. He said, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down, looking down on himself, looking down on others. Um, But as long as you are always looking down, you can never see anything that is above you. And so... um, the verses that I that I really wanted to pull from tonight was in uh, Psalms, and the first one is Psalms four one, and it says, "Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer." And when I was when I was going over that first one, when it says, "Give me relief from my distress." what the Lord began to stir in me was, was a new perspective of looking at it. It wasn't necessarily give me relief from the things going on around me or deliver me from the situation I'm in. It was, no, give me relief from myself. Give me relief from this internal war that is within me that has fear and anxiety and worry and control. Like, I need relief from myself, from my own mind. I need Jesus. I need freedom. And so that's the perspective I wanted to take that from. And so... Flipping to Psalms uh, 5, 5, 7 through 8, and it says, The arrogant cannot stand in your presence, but I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down toward your holy temple. And so immediately starting off, um, David recognizes a couple things. He recognizes the arrogant or the proud cannot stand in God's presence. And the reason that is is because you've already made yourself God. You allow no place for God to come in. You've made yourself God. And so there's no way you can enter into his presence. And then David goes on and notices, um, it is by the mercy of God that I enter into your house. It's not by human works. It's not by anything I can do of myself. It is literally by the mercy of God, of Jesus coming down and laying my sins and going up on the cross for me that I'm able to enter in to God's presence. That's why it's nothing that I have. And then when he does enter in, he bows in reverence, meaning it's, it's an awe, it's a, it's a respect, it's a, it's a deep sense of wonder towards something, something that is above you. And then again, when he says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness, he's again saying, God, I can't lead myself. I need you to lead me. I can't do this on my own. In order for David to recognize these things, he had to be stripped of any pride in himself. Any idea that he could be on the throne, it had to be laid down and he had to say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need a savior. And so when we strip ourselves, when we strip ourselves of that pride, we're able to enter into his presence and we're able to see him rightly, which then allows us to see ourselves rightly. And so I want to talk about a couple ways that pride uh, sneaks in and what it breeds. And so when I, when I talk about these things, again, I just want to reiterate that I am not saying black and white here. I'm saying let the Lord, let the Holy Spirit convict you. Um, do not hear shame or condemnation. This is coming from a place of I have dealt with pride. I have been there, and I am still working through it. Pride is not a one and done like, hey, I'm not prideful anymore. That's, it's not. It's in every single decision where it's like, no, like I lay down my pride. I crucify myself with Christ again, and I say I'm a servant to God. And so the first thing that I want to get into is the mundane. So we're going to build from the little stuff to the big stuff is how we're going to do it tonight. And so what mundane decisions can breed when, it, when pride enters in is being self-absorbed. And so 
I wanted to talk about that because it's, it's so important to see that our daily little decisions are so important to God. And it's not because he's, he's a, you know, a tyrant. It's not because he's um, a dictator. It's not because he wants to control every single little thing in your life. He, it's because he cares. It's because he cares about who you are and the reality that he is more committed to your life than you would ever be committed to it. Like, think about that. Like you, living and breathing right now, God is more committed to your existence and you breathing right now than you are going, <laughs> like he's more committed to that. And, and so those little decisions, that's the heart of God, is that I, I care about you. I want you to have a future and a plan and a, and a calling over your life. And all those little decisions to look more like me, to look more like Jesus matter. They matter to me. And so... With that being said, I want to address the women right now. And again, <laughs> hear me with so much love in this. Um, but what I wanted to talk about with, with us women is, is what we wear, how we act, and what we post. And a lot of times I can hear, and I've even said this myself, especially in high school, <laughs> but it's, it's my body, it's my right, it's my life. The reality is, though, is that it's not. You are a steward of your body. You are actually a temple of your body. And what you post and what you wear, it's not, oh, boys, just don't look at me. This is my life. It's, no, I'm a steward and I'm a daughter and I know my identity and I have confidence in that, that I can actually walk in and say, no, I know who I am, not because of what others think of me, but because I'm a daughter, because I'm a bride first before anything else. So what I show to everyone else, what I show to the world, what I post, what I say, what I wear, is that I'm a daughter of Christ. I'm displaying the glory of God every time I step out my door. Every time I wake up, I'm displaying the glory of God. And so the question I would, I would pose is, is, what is what, what is the heart motivation behind what we post and what we wear and what we say as women? Because it can't be, oh, I, I, I want attention or I'm impatient with, with the timing of God bringing me a spouse or I want, I want the affirmation. That can't be our heart's motivation. Our heart's motivation has to be, I am a bride of God. That is who I am. And let me tell you, no man can fill that place. You can get married and not know who you are and being married will never fix that hole. You are a bride and you are a daughter of Christ and you have worth that it, that it does not mean you have to go around looking like something that you should not be looking like. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and so, ladies, again, just humility asks, am I displaying the glory of God? My body is not my own. My life is not my own. I do not have pride or entitlements or rights when it comes to my body. I exist to display the glory of God. And men, when I, when I was praying about you guys, now I'm not a man, so I did consult men. So don't think I didn't consult them. I consulted two men. <laughs> um, and what I really felt was, um, was that false humility breeds passivity. And <laughs> see, I like that. <laughs> Again, false humility breeds passivity. 
And even that you can trace back to the garden with Adam and Eve, because while it's 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 shown a lot that Eve was tempted with with her identity, with with who she was in Christ, of, of saying, Did God really say this? You, you can be like God. Yes, Eve was tempted, but also Adam was standing right there. He was standing there and he was passive when his wife was being tempted. And so what pride would say, there's two ways that you can take that. Either it's I'm not good enough. I've already tried before. There's no point. Or if you aren't saying that and you don't think anything, you not walking in who God has called you to be is still saying that your sins are greater than his grace and your decision to, and to sit in that is greater than the cross. That, that's what that is saying. Because the reality is, is that this is not a dog on men. Again, hear my heart because I just talked to the ladies. You are strong and you are leaders and you're meant to carry yourself with honor and dignity and to raise up a family and to raise up your wives and your children. That is what you are called to do. Not sit in passivity. I mean, that's why we see so many times when fathers have abandoned their, their, their wives and, and their kids. And, and we see this all the time. And so many of us probably have a story like that or we've seen that before. But God is not saying that as a slap on the wrist. It's saying, no, like, you can take pride in being a man of God. You can take pride in respecting and honoring women. You can take pride in being faithful and not allowing passivity and apathy to hold you back. That's what you take pride in. Not in saying, oh, well, I guess I should just give up and then breed passivity. That's not what you are called to do. You are called to so much more. (laughs) Man like that (laughs) come on (laughs) all right (laughs) all right so the second thing I want to hit because I want to be I want to be mindful and respectful of y'all's time is uh career and what that breeds uh now I am a three does anyone like Enneagram in here just raise your hand if you like your Enneagram I am a three so this one hits me pretty hard (laughs) um all right, and so what career does when, when pride enters and twists it, it, it creates a false sense of self-sufficiency. Yeah. See, when we, when we begin to think that we have these things in order, money, career, etc., a lot of times the world will say, you've made it, you've done it, you've grown up, you're not living in the basement of your parents' house anymore, like you've made it. Like that's what culture would try and, and sell you. But the reality is, is that we don't ever grow up from God. Maturity in Christ doesn't look like being independent from him. Maturity in Christ looks like being so dependent on him that every single morning you're getting up and going, God, I need you. I need you. I need a father. I need a savior. That's what maturity in Christ looks like. It's not independence. It's the utmost dependence to him. It's clinging to him every single morning and saying, no, you're my lifeline. You're everything that I need and want and have in this life. That is what that is what maturity in Christ looks like. And on the flip side of that, finances can cause us, we just, I love what Cody said, it can cause us so much stress and so much anxiety that it's like, man, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, we're paying for a wedding. Like, I'm like, I don't know how these numbers are going to add up. Like, I got to pay for a place to live after this. Like, shoot, like, Lord, please come down and help me. Like, that's literally every single day. But the reality is, is that you're not worth something because you have a certain number in your bank account. 
you're, you're not, that's not what qualifies you to be of worth to God. What qualifies you is that you weren't just worth something, you were worth everything to him. You were worth everything to him to come down and embody sin and, and take our sin and go up on a cross and say, you don't deserve it, but you're worth it. I say you're worth everything. I'll give you my only son. He'll die. He'll raise again in three days and win everything for you that you'll ever go through in life. That's what he says. You're not called to be self-sufficient. You're called to be dependent on the one who can win every single battle you ever go through. And the last one I want to go through is our calling. And that what pride does in that moment is it breeds self-significance. When we wrap ourselves and our pride in our calling, we start to become servants of ourselves rather than servants of Jesus. It starts to become about our significance rather than his glory. You know, when we forget that we are actually supposed to die unto ourselves, we make it about our calling. We make it about saying, oh, well, well, God called me to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I don't need God anymore because I made it, and I got it. And I'm going to preach this every week, and I'm going to sing these songs, and we can do all those things, and we can go through the motions, but God was never really in them to begin with. God enters into it when we surrender, when we lay down what we think we want to look like, what we think we want to get from, from a job, from standing up on a platform. God has to be first. Our calling is to be unified, one with Christ. It's not about a job title or, or about even your ministry calling or about the gifts that he's given you. Your first calling is to love God, is to be a laid down lover of Christ. You know, sometimes we can even get so wrapped up in, I'm a pastor, I'm a worship leader, I'm an evangelist, I'm a prophet, I'm, I'm this and this and that. But the reality is, is that you're not just a worship pastor or even a pastor. We're, we're sons and daughters that are all called to preach the gospel. We're all called to finish the Great Commission. We're all called to pray for the sick and prophesy over the brokenhearted. We are all called to do that. So for you to say, well, oh, I'm just a worship leader. I don't really want to get up there and speak, or I don't want to pray over that person when I see them in the coffee shop because I'm not really good at praying. No, actually, you were given every single tool that you would need, and that tool is Jesus. It's not you talking to people. It's not you getting up and leading people in worship or you speaking. It's God through you. Everything good and perfect comes from him. So you don't have to worry about what you're going to look like or your pride that's being laid down on the line. God's going to meet you there every single time. Every single time. And in my last two years of, of being in missions work, I can say that 100% because there are times where I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, either God's going to show up or we're going to look really, really dumb. Like, those kind of prayers. Like, there were times when we would, people's backs would be hurting and we'd be like, okay, this is kind of a weird thing we do, but can we check the length of your legs? And people were like, I'm sorry, what? And we're like, just, just, just go with me with it. Like, just, just try it. So they would sit down. One of their legs would be shorter than the other, and we would be like, all right, I think this is the, this, this is the uh, reason for your back pain, so can we pray for you? Can we pray that your leg would grow out? And this actually it's happened a, a couple of times, but one of them was actually one of my students. And uh, w those prayers are always the prayers where it's like, their leg doesn't grow out. Like, 
I'm gonna like I'm gonna go get some ice cream like I gotta go like that's gonna be real awkward and so we would sit them down and we would pray over them and every single time their leg would grow out their back pain would stop and every time God would show up our God is not a God that lets you fail our God is a God that loves to show up and say it's not about you it's about me let my glory be displayed through your life because I want to do something I want to give you a testimony a couple of weeks ago, we just heard about Marion being, she doesn't have cancer anymore. Like, that is God. Like, that is the God we serve. Yeah, come on. You know, our, our call is to love God and love people. It's not about a job. It's not about a missional calling. It's to love God and love people. It manifests in different ways, but none of those things are your identity. Your identity, first and foremost, is a son or a daughter. It's being the bride of Christ. Those are the things that God wants to build upon because you don't, you don't grow in maturity by being independent of him. You grow by being with him, by learning the things of God and saying, Jesus, make me look more like you. I'm willing to look like a fool. I'm willing to lay down my life. When everyone says that it's crazy, I'm willing to do it because I love you. And so pride is not your identity. I talked a lot about pride and the different ways it shows up, but I want to tell you that that's not your identity. Your original design when God looked at you is that is very good. That is good. She is beautiful. He is smart. You are capable. You are intelligent. You have gifts. You have a voice. Fear does not own you. Sickness and family brokenness is not the end of your story. Those are not the things God sees you. Thank you so much. And, and, and says that's, that's just your life. That's not who our God is. Our God says, no, you're a son and a daughter, and I've promised you abundantly more than you could ever ask for. That's who you are. See, so we have to realize that while we've been hiding in our shame, he's been waiting to embrace us with kindness. While we expect to be met with wrath, he's waiting to show us the jealous love of a bridegroom with the heart of a father. And so when the band can come back up, and so what I want to do for response um, is honestly just repentance. And a lot of time, repentance can get a bad rep. It can be looked at as a dirty word or a shameful act that just sinners do. A lot of time, that's what we see in church culture. But the reality is that repentance is actually a gift. It's actually a gift to us that allows us to come back into the presence of our Father and say, God, I need you. God, forgive me of what I've done. And being the loving father that he does, he already looks at you and says, it's been forgiven. It's done. I dealt with it. Now come be with me. Come be in my presence. And so, you know, what we're, when we're going to do it, um, when we're going to take a moment and think about um, the different ways that pride might, might be in your life, a lot of times repentance can feel like we're being unclothed in front of everybody. Like that terrible dream where you're like naked in front of a crowd. Like that's literally what it can feel like um, when, you're, when you're in repentance and when you're um, thinking about possibly doing that. 
But the reality is, is that when we become unclothed, he comes to immediately clothe us with his righteousness. We don't get a robe of, of wrath and of how, how dare you do that, you terrible sinner, you terrible kid. No, we get his righteousness. We get what Jesus paid the price for, not what we deserve, not what we should get. We get what God wants to give us, which is grace and mercy. That's what he wants to give us. And tonight, I believe that repentance is, is the signal of the end of pride. It is, it is the shift in some of your guys' life where you're saying, man, I, I didn't realize that, that I was prideful in that way. I didn't realize that what I, the way I had been living my life was, was for myself. God's not condemning you for that. God, he wants to say with the Holy Spirit, a loving conviction of look at this in your life. I want you to be closer to me, but these things have to go because he is a holy God. He is so holy that sin cannot be near him. So we remove it with repentance and it is a gift, it is an honor. And so tonight, if you guys just wanna bring down the lights back there to get some um, privacy, that would be awesome, thank you. Um, and, and in a minute, um, after I ask a couple questions to different groups of people, um, we're gonna go into the song, All Hail King Jesus. And that might seem like a, a really weird song to go into. But when I was praying about it, I was like, God, that'd be awesome to do like a surrender song, like a lay it all down song, like I pick up Jesus song, like that kind of a vibe. And he was, he was like, no, the way we deal with pride is to get your eyes off yourself and to look at me. Because this song, if you look through these lyrics, as Kyle is going to sing it, it talks about who Jesus is, about what he has done. So when you're having a moment between God and yourself and saying, God, forgive me of this. Make me look more like you. Challenge me. Encourage me. Love me. Thank you, Father. Look at it with those lyrics of what he's done for you. You don't need a song to say, I surrender for you. You don't need a song to, to write it all out of what to say or a prayer to pray. You need a song that's willing to say, all hail King Jesus. He's the one that saved my soul from hell. He's the one that gives me freedom from my sin. He's the one that restores my family. He's the one that makes broken things whole again. He's the one that takes my pride and allows me to walk in a freedom. Because I'm telling you guys, when you give up your pride, you will walk in a level of freedom that you would have never experienced otherwise. I promise you guys, it is not the end when you give up your pride, it's actually the beginning. You begin to walk in a level of joy and of peace and of security that you never would have if you didn't give it up. Because if you hold on to it, all that it breeds is control, anxiety, depression, confusion, worry, chaos. Those are the things that pride loves to breed. So with every head bowed, before we get into a repentance for people, I never want to miss an opportunity for someone who has never given their life to Jesus. Maybe it's one person, maybe it's 10 people, but maybe it's no one, that's okay. But every opportunity there is 
to allow someone to come face to face with Jesus, I want to take it. So with every head bowed, I just want to ask, is there anyone in here that has never experienced the love of a father like that? That has been walking in their own way and their own path and is willing to say, God, I believe you're real. I strip myself of my pride. I want to know you. I want to be a son or a daughter. I want to be a bridegroom. I want to know what it's like to be loved by you. Is there anyone else in here that says they want to know that? Yeah, I see you. Come on. Is there anyone else? Come on. All right, for the second group of people, um, this might be all of us. (laughs) It might be a couple people, but whatever it is, if you guys are willing to say it, it's, man, I have pride in my life and it has got to die. It has got to go. I've been living parts of my life for myself and I've not surrendered it. If that is you guys, I wanna raise your hand because I'm here saying, that's me. I've had that in my life. I still do. Come on. Pretty much every hand is raised in here. This is not a singled out moment. It's a, it's a unifying moment around the blood of Christ saying, he's paid it all. He's paid it for your pride. He's paid it for your anxiety. He says, no, you're free from that in this moment. So I'm just gonna pray for us before we go back into that worship time. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. Holy Spirit, we don't wanna do anything separate from you. We want you and you alone. God, would you give us the loving conviction? Show us where we've had pride in our lives, God. Show us where we can look more like you, Jesus. How can I look more like you? What do I need to give up in my life? I'm willing to look like a fool. Whether it looks like coming down to this altar and coming to my knees or or confessing and praying with somebody or lifting my hands for the first time or maybe not even caring if someone hears me and singing out loud for the first time. Wherever you're at, whatever killing pride looks like, do it. Kill pride. Do something that costs you. Do something that costs you something, that it costs your pride. So Holy Spirit, come and do what you wanna do. We welcome you. We lay down our lives again for you, Jesus. You are so worth it. All hail King Jesus.